Alright guys, final score. We've been doing sports interviews for the last year. Stepped out a little bit here recently. Done some, Did an interview with uh, rock journalist Mitch LaFon and taking it a step further, the first musician I've interviewed. And this guy, if you were a fan of rock music in the 80s, particularly in the 80s, you had to know what this guy was. Uh, I, he came on my radar with a band called Freely's Comet. You know, everybody knows I'm a diehard Kiss fan, have been since I was five years old. So when Ace goes out on his own, I followed Ace. But I'll tell you this, and I've told this guy, and I've told the, uh, another member of this band, I came into it as an Ace fan, but those guys, those other guys, turned me into Freely's Comets fan. And with me tonight is is musician Todd Howarth. Welcome to the show, Mr. Howarth. Well, Stevie, thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm very honored and uh, happy to be here. Yeah, I, like I said, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, well, let's just get things right out. You're out, you're out on the West Coast, of course, uh, so you're a little bit, you're a little bit behind uh, on our time. So we were, we were trying to get things straight with the time stuff. But how did Todd Howarth get into music? Well, let's see. When uh, I was really young, um, I had uh, witnessed the Beatles on uh, Ed Sullivan's show that was back in the 60s, and I was just mesmerized by what these guys were doing on stage, and all the girls were screaming, and even though I was too young to know what a girl really meant, I thought, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I want. That's what I want to be. <laughs> but I, I had, uh, at the time, I didn't realize I had any musical talent. Uh, it was... Um, part of my my mother and my my mother's father's uh uh talent they had uh, singing and, and playing piano in their in their repertoires uh, not professionally but just as a hobby and and it would later come out in me um where my stepmother had figured out that i was talented and she got me to start taking piano lessons by the time i was about seven years old so that's where it really started and you know i discovered all kinds of instruments that i could uh, anything i get my hands on to play some of them better than others but uh it was um just a fascination with melodies and song creation and and singing and instrumentation and and it uh it just it, it hooked me and it's been uh it's they're hooking me to this day yeah definitely definitely so what i gotta ask you the first album you ever bought First album I bought with my money was probably, it was either, uh, God, I had a lot of, I had a few Beatle records that were given to right. me, but I was, I was young, so I didn't buy them myself, but I wanted the Beatles records. I remember Beatles 65 and Help, and I think, uh, one of the first records I bought by myself was probably Mark Bolin, uh, yeah. with, uh, T-Rex. Yeah. And then uh, I bought a Paul McCartney album. Uh, I think it was called Ram, which really was representative of, of you know stuff that I would go on to listen to. But those those uh, two records I remember quite uh, quite vividly. So, so what would you say? Yeah, I know you probably say the Beatles were a big influence on you. Who were, who were some of your other influences? Well, the, the influence my influence has changed through the years. Um, the Beatles, of course. Um, uh, any good music that had uh, song construction. I wasn't that wild about the Stones or the Doors or anything like that, but there were some songs that did strike me and I did like them. 
as I got older, I got into more heavier stuff like Black Sabbath and mm. and, uh, and eventually a, a band called Humble Pie, which oh, uh, yeah. my brother, uh, actually he's my best friend but uh, from birth, but I call him my brother. He he turned me on to that. He goes, you got to hear this, this band. He, he said, they're called Humble Pie. And he also turned me on to Black Sabbath, you know, the real heavy stuff. And I'm like, what is this, you know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, those those uh, two bands were influential initially. I went on to listen to a lot of different stuff. I always tend, tended to like either songs that were very well-constructed or very heavy rock, which, you know, heavy rock back then was you know, Black Sabbath and, and that type of stuff. But that those... Uh, types of bands were influential into the late seventies for me. All right. So first, first band you were in. First band I was in. Well, it was my own band. wasn't much of a band. It was a three piece, two guitar players and a drummer, and nobody sang. You know, we didn't have microphones, so even though I could sing, I wasn't singing. We had no bass player, and uh, we were playing things like House of the Rising Sun poorly. Um, I was playing a little bit of guitar, and I played some piano, and, and uh, uh, that was the three-piece. And then uh, one of the first real bands that I was in was uh, probably a top 40 band that was located out of here in San Diego, of, of which the guys I'm still uh, friends with. And one of the, the guys that uh, was the last bass player for this band called Coco Blue was my cousin by marriage, uh, Jason Sheff, who went on to play bass and sing lead for the band Chicago for many years. Wow, I did not know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. I'm, yeah. A, I, you yeah. know, I'm like you. I, I like rock music. That's always, the, especially the 80s era, it's probably my favorite era. But, you know, I listen to all kinds of different stuff, like Chicago. I, I, I'm a big Chicago fan. Uh, stuff like that. I, I don't just go straight for, yeah, straight it, for rock. Yeah, it's and a lot of people are like that. I mean, a lot, a lot of uh, rock fans are, you know, probably reluctant to admit that they like different stuff. I mean, when I was growing up, I listened to, uh, I liked Janice Ian, I liked uh, Joni Mitchell, Carol King, Steely Dan, uh, you know, I liked Kansas, I liked, uh, of course, I liked the Babies, you know, John Wayne. Right, John Wayne. And, and so many different types of, of, of bands and styles, depending on the mood, but... Yeah, it it is it is uh, not too out of the norm for for people to like a whole multitude of different types of music depending on their moods. Right. So how how did it come about that you get you get to play with Cheap Trick? Well, when I moved to L.A., I I uh, was pursuing. I, I had a, a original band like, uh, that I moved up to play with there. A couple of guys from here in San Diego and, and some people up up there. And then I ended up playing with a bunch of different bands in L.A. after that. And one band that I played with had members in it that were from the Chicago area. And they kind of knew the guys that played with Cheap Trick and, and or were in Cheap Trick. And they also were working with a couple of producers and a keyboard player that did some work with Cheap Trick. And as time progressed, um, one of the guys that replaced Tom Peterson as a bass player was named Pete Kamita, and I had played with Pete Kamita and John Brandt in a band in L.A., and after those guys had in, uh, sequentially ended up joining Cheap Trick, they were looking for a keyboard player that could sing, and they said, well, this guy that we used to play with in L.A. can do this, and that would be me. 
But I couldn't play with them at that time because I was playing with a band called 707. 707, right. So I had to wait a, um, a few years. Uh, actually, even longer than that, because I played with 707, then I went to Ted Nugent. Then I finally ended up playing with Cheap Trick. So so you, you get the gig with, <clears throat> with Cheap Trick for a while. Now, it, I know how Freely's Comet was. I was a big fan of Freely's Comet. How, how did that come about, getting the gig with Freely's Comet, though? Well, when I was playing with Cheap Trick, I uh, we were in this one particular tour. This was an eighty, I think it was an eighty six. We were on tour with um, John Waite when he was doing the, um, the when he had the hit missing song you. "I Ain't Missing You" or right. "Missing You." Yeah. And I love John Waite because he's from the Baby, so I used to listen to their sound checks. And very rarely would John Waite be there, but the band would be there. And I'd be listening to the band, and they sounded great. This, you know, powerful and bottom end and bottom end heavy, and and then Frankie LaRock on drums, and and uh, actually Arthur Stead was playing keyboards too uh, for for John Waite, and John Regan was playing yeah. bass for John Waite. So um, I just walked up to John Regan one day and said, "Hey, you know, I'm listening to you guys' sound checks, and you guys are just phenomenal. I love the way you sound." And, you know, he knew who I was. He said, oh, yeah, you're, you uh, play keyboard cheap trick. I said, yeah. So we got to talk, and I told him what I could do. You know, I was a guitar player, lead singer, songwriter. And so he kept that in mind, and we talked a little bit more. He said, and he told me, I have a project I'm kind of working on, uh, but I can't say who it is right now. I'll, I'll, give me your information. I'll get in touch with you. So about probably six months later or so, four months later, he gave me a call, and he said, it's, look, I'm working with Ace Fraley, and we've got this band thing going, and uh, we may be looking to consolidate the project from five-piece to a four-piece, and you might be the guy that we need. So that's how that happened. Yeah, and, and the rest rest is history. I can remember <coughs> buying, and, and, and a lot of these kids that are listening right now probably don't know what I'm talking about, buying the cassette of the Freely, first Freely's Comet uh, album, and just listening to it, you know, because I was just curious how it was going to be and, and expecting uh, to hear mostly Ace. But then, you know, get to get to track number two, the breakout, and I hear this guy. I'm like, whoa, this guy's got some chops here. And, you know, <laughs> then then you uh, you, you got uh, calling to you on that first album. That first album, you know, a lot of people don't give it a lot of credit. That first album was, was really a great album. Well, thank you. It. It, yeah, it, it was, I, I think all the pieces and the ingredients were there uh, for us to go. I think the third, a third album with Freddie's Comet would have really been phenomenal because uh, it, was, it was such a, we were trying to shape the, the band, the project into something that sounded like a band because it was a real band. Right. But uh, Ace was really, really into this project. He was really trying. He was in great shape. He was in great form. And um, we, I added some songs and elements and, and a singing ability that uh, that Ace didn't didn't possess uh, from the level of, of, a, of a singer. I mean, he knew that. That's why oh, he yeah. needed another person in the band that could sing. And uh, so it, it complemented the fact that here's the big guitar hero, the big lead guitar hero uh, from Kiss, Ace Fraley, singing and playing. Uh, and then rip it on leads where I would get to sing, and that was kind of a nice combination. So it it really had high promises. Um, 
the things that transpired after the first album, of course, is, again, history now. But we had high hopes to do a lot of good things, and uh, unfortunately, it never came to pass. Yeah, yeah. That was, was it, you know, I know just some, ta- some things in the past today, and Ace is kind of difficult to work with. How, how was he to work with? Was it, I, I don't want to put you out there or anything, but. <laughs> well, I think that Ace, well, no, it, the truth is, Ace was very amenable back then um, because he was ready to, to do a lot of compromises. In fact, out of all the people I've ever played with, he was the one that gave me the most freedom to sing, to play, to write songs, uh, and be a part of the project. So and I have that to, to thank, uh, to thank him for that, because that was extremely generous and important that I had all that freedom. I mean, that was the reason why I left Cheap Trick or stopped playing with Cheap Trick to join this project, because I, I thought that it, it could uh, work out well for me. And Ace was... He was not pretentious. I mean, everybody knew he was from Kiss, and you know right. he's the, you know, the instrumental uh, the icon, uh, guitar player, lead guitar hero, and he had all his due respects, and everybody respected him for that. But as far as working with him, he was great. Right. No problems. Well, and it, I mean, as the as the as, as, as the next you know couple albums transpired or, or time went on, there, there was minor things that came up and popped up. But that was just a sign of the times and, and the, the, some of the, I guess you say, the band or company or, or label traumas and, and, and episodes that didn't make it very comfortable for us to continue doing what we wanted to do. But, you know, that usually happens in most every project unless you're super successful. And, and then you still have problems. But yeah. overall, initially, it was he was very good to work with. Yeah. And just talking about how good the the Freely's Comet album was, the second album, and my, you know, that's one of my favorite albums right there. You know, you got Insane was a, you know, that bass line that starts off on Insane, I, I, every time I hear it, like, I do a lot of running, and if that song comes on while I run, it just gets me kind of pumped up a little bit there. <laughs> and then uh, another song that's really an underrated song, uh, Time Ain't Running Out, I, over the years, you know, I've really become a fan of that song. Uh, Dancing with Danger was good. But then it's over now. You know, back then in the 80s, you, you had a formula with with a lot of these albums or CDs or whatever you want to call it. You had to have, it seems like you had to have leading off a good, powerful song. But midway through, you had to have a power ballad. And It's Over Now is a great power ballad. I remember hearing it for the first time, seeing the video, and I'm like, this this is an awesome song. I mean, well, thank it was, like you I so said, much. one of my favorite songs of all time. I, I, and I, I appreciate that so very much. I get that um, quite often from uh, some friends and fans that hear it, hear the song. And I had written the song in '86 for Cheap Trick to do because uh, I thought um, you know Robin could really kill it. But uh, they kind of passed on it because I think probably because it's just too much of a keyboard-heavy song for them. But uh, we ended up doing it, and I had very high hopes for it. Uh, I played it, actually, for John in the studio when we were mixing the first record, and he he was like, wow, we'll have to do that on the second one, which we did. And so John is really responsible for having that song uh, come on the record. But, um, yeah, we had high hopes. I had high hopes for it, and... And yeah, that that was the era of the power ballad, where oh, yeah. you know, most big bands had you know, some killer 
a battle to do, and I was just very, uh, I guess back then, I guess I was horrified or extremely disappointed, I guess is a better word uh, or better phrase for the fact that the song didn't do anything. And, uh, I mean, there's reasons why it didn't do anything and speculation thereof, but I was just floored that we couldn't get any traction with that song because I thought it had a very powerful hook and a very, um, you know, good, a good video, and, but um, it just didn't do anything for the band. Yeah, it, it, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how it didn't take off either, but, you know, I, I could go on and on about it, but I, I'll go ahead. Working, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> working, working with John Reagan, how was that? John is a great guy. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's an old world Italian guy and in, uh, in a, in a, in a bass player's outfit. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's a, a very good businessman. He's a very good friend, uh, very good business oriented and, um, watches where the, you know, the shekels land, uh, the money goes and he's incredibly talented. He's a very good producer as well. He can hear a lot of, of good ideas and things, and he implements them you know, throughout everything he does. Um, we worked, uh, we actually wanted to do some more stuff together after Freddy's Comet, but we both found we were going in different directions to do different things to, of course, earn a living. And it uh, it never happened to, until 4 by Fate came along, uh, right. which was supposed to be a, a, uh, a 25 year reunion for, for Freddy's Comet, which never happened. But, um, John, John's a great guy. We, we get along real well and we kind of, we play very much the same way as far as like when, when John and I play, I'm um, playing guitar and he's playing bass and we got, you know, slamming drummer behind us like, uh, the guy that plays with, uh, Return of the Comet right now and played with Ace, Steve Budgie Werner. He's a phenomenal drummer who's just, you know, pound it down and just it's just such a solid feel. So it's a good feeling. Now, how, that return of the return of the comet. We will talk about that. How was how that coming about? Uh, well, a friend of ours who's in the business um, uh, who decided to uh, put this thing together and approached John. And I've also know his name's Tommy Higgins, and he had approached me about fifteen years ago about doing some work with Aerosmith because he works with Aerosmith. Um, it was his idea to put together uh, Richie Scarlett, John, me, and one of the drummers, um, which turned out to be uh, Steve uh, Werner, together to do Return of the Comet. Now, we've only done, uh, let's see, I think four shows together so far, and we're coming up on two more here in, in the 28th and 29th, which are in, I think it's respectively New Jersey and then Long Island, I think respectively. And it's kind of a new thing. We're seeing how far it'll go. We don't know what's going to happen with it. I mean, it's such a long time ago for the Comet. uh, We're not really sure we're going to be able to, uh, you know, dust up enough uh, of uh, interest in people to come see Return of the Comet, even though we're having a lot of fun. And the people who come see the shows are having a lot of fun hearing all the songs. Uh, some of the old songs are some songs they've never heard before. So it's it's um, it's a lot of fun. We'll see how it pans out into next year. Right. I, I know they'll, you know, when the whole 
there was a lot of rumors going around, especially with four by fate, that there was going to be a Freelys Comet reunion coming. A lot of people got excited. I mean, it, it seems like there's a lot of Freelys Comets fans still out there, and I know it's been a long time, but you know, it seems like that would be something you know that would interest a lot of people. But uh, do you do you think y'all have y'all would if you did a Freelys Comet reunion? And I know a lot of people were talking about, and this is. I don't think this is, I think this is a little too ridiculous, that Freelance Comet, the reunion, would open for Kiss on the end of the road. I don't see that happening, but, you know, stranger things have happened. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that, it, it would, that probably would never happen for a, a, a lot of reasons. A few reasons. <laughs> I think that the primarily, you know, Ace is a founding member, part of the, the original Kiss, and so that'd be kind of a, Hard thing for him to swallow. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it depends on how you look at your perspective. I don't think he'd want to do that. Uh, he's also uh, turned us down as far as doing a Freddy's Comet reunion because he's been very happy with doing his own band. Uh, he's had a couple of, of good uh, bands uh, out, one with Richie Scarlett uh, that was did very well. I mean, uh, they're, they complement each other lead guitar player wise and, and do a very good job of it. But as far as a Fraley's Comet reunion like with John, me, and Anton, and Ace, uh, yeah, stranger things have happened. I, I don't know of anything like that happening at all. Ace is really interested in doing his own thing still. Yeah. And uh, even if we did get together and do a few songs, I don't know, a few shows, I, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be with Kiss because no, that's, no, I, yeah, there's, I there's that a Gene and Paul element there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that was ridiculous when somebody mentioned that. You know, you know how people will talk on the Facebook message boards and, and oh yeah, yeah. You well, know, it's a good. I mean, it's it's it looks good in numbers. It looks good on print and that type of thing. But yeah, there there just be way too many conflicts of interest and pride and ego i would imagine i mean i wouldn't care i, I think it'd be fun but right. it has nothing really to do with me or john well i and no offense because i am a diehard kiss fan but you know it would probably be a i know it would be a lot better than watching a guy paint and that's <laughs> i mean that's <laughs> yeah it's it, you know it's it's it, 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 there's sometimes when you just need to go okay I, i've done i've you know i've done my i've made my mark i've, I've made my history uh, and that's for each individual person to figure that out for themselves. Yeah. I mean, we can't keep going and doing things because things wear out. You know, drummers wear out, vocal cords wear out. You know, it, it's just tough on a human to keep, you know, think of make a rock at 80 years old, even though, yeah. you know, uh, Mick Jagger and, and uh, Keith Richards seem to keep going at it, but it's a different kind of music. So, but, yeah, it, it's it's tough. Um you know, it, it, people want us to keep performing like we did 35, 40 years ago. No and it's way. like, <laughs> it's just a little more difficult, folks. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, those, those songs that I sang, you're referencing, they're 30 and 31 years old now. Yeah, definitely. I, and, and I just, I, you know, tell you what kind of, of 80s rock fan I am. I, I went to a, a show this past Saturday night, one of my favorite bands from the age, Striper. And saw them at a, at a local, and you know Michael Sweet has one of had one of the greatest voices. But you you know this has been like you said thirty years ago when he did honestly and stuff like that. And there's no way unless he knows something a lot of guys don't that you can you can hit some of them high notes like he used to. But he did a great job. But you know 
There's no way. Yeah, I mean, it's, after it's, thirty years, it, it 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 wears on you a little bit. Yeah, there's there's physical attributes that you can't do it. I mean, I I do pretty well with most of the high notes I used to hit. Uh, and but there are some things that you know sometimes sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not there as good as they used to be or anywhere near. But the thing is, you do your best job and hope people have a uh, you know a fun time with it. But yeah, it's it's just hard. It's like expecting somebody to run as fast or fight as fast or, or, or as strong as they used to oh, when they yeah. were younger, it, it's just not going to happen. You know, it, it's, I mean, I had so much energy and so much, uh, some drive and power when I was in my 20s, and, and then even in my 30s, 40s, and 50s, and, you know, this year I'll be 62 in a few months. Yeah, I, so I, I know it, exactly it's what amazing. you mean. I'm getting, I'm getting up there. I'm not, I haven't quite hit 50 yet, but I'm getting close. So, I, and it's, it's a lot different than, than what it was 20 years ago. Um, yeah, and, and it's it's kind of sad, but you know it's just it's just a fact of life. You know, I'm looking, I'm working on uh, three solo CDs. I unfortunately taking my time doing it because I don't have a choice. But I'm also working on my autobiography, and, and hopefully wow. I get this stuff out by next year. But um, it is just I'm looking forward to uh, you know some type of maybe retirement as well. I mean, I, I don't think I'll ever completely retire, but. There's aspects of the music industry, I should say, that I'll retire from doing because I just want to live the rest of my life enjoying something while I can still hear a little bit, you know. Yeah, I can imagine that's that's a little tough because uh, I yep. know my wife is, she's she's a fan of rock music, but uh, the other night at the concert, when the opening act was kind of more of like a Eagles-type band, and they were, you know, it was good, but then when Striper plugged in, and that first chord hit, she looked at me like, oh, my gosh. She said, I'm not. And she told me afterwards, she said, when they played that first time, I could feel it all the way through my stomach. And I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, imagine, like, with you guys doing that over the course of a year, every night, almost every night over the course of a year, that that's going to take a toll on your hearing, too. So Yeah, it depends on the, on the stage setup. Uh, it, it can. The sound is a little different on stage as it is in the audience. But when you play with the likes of Nugent and then and Rick Nielsen and Cheap Trick and then, you know, Ace Fraley and, and, and me, uh, and then it just after a while, your ears, like my, my ear, left ear right now is ringing like crazy. Yeah. But that's because I'm working the studio every day and then I'm also rehearsing for these shows coming up. And it just gets to the point where your ears are going, hey, give me a break, you know. Yeah. So I've, I've, still got, I've still got some ears out there, but the thing is I'm, I'm not going to get to the point where I'm, I'm, uh, you know, fooling uh, myself and everybody else. I'll, I'll do it as long as people want to hear it. And then after that, it's like, okay, you know, let somebody else take the, uh, right. the reins. You talk about doing some solo, your solo records, but you also, you've done one, five solo records. Uh, that I didn't know that because until I did start doing my research on you, I didn't know you'd had solo albums that came out after Freely's Comet. Yeah, yeah, I have, I have five. Um, it was uh, the first one, Silhouette. And then I did uh, I I did all that actually with a drum machine because I didn't have a drum set. Uh, and then I did uh, I think after Silhouette I did Cobalt Parlor, right? And that was uh, with a real drum set. I had to practice for about four months to get halfway. I mean anywhere near halfway decent. And then I did uh, 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 one called West of Eight. Yeah. And then I did one called Winter. Yeah. And then I did Opposite Gods. And then I also did a couple of little offshoot things, but now I'm working on three. One's real heavy again, 
uh, and the other one's going to be kind of acoustic of Fraley's Comet songs that I sang wow. or, or wrote. That'll be, you know, like an EP type thing because I'm not that many on the, the albums. And then I'll be doing like a, another, oh, I guess for lack of better terms, it's like an adult contemporary type. Not easy listening, but you know, not not heavy rock. You right. know, it's just kind of like me and acoustic guitar and acoustic piano type thing. And and uh, so that's going to take a lot of time because I'm, I'm writing and playing everything myself and mixing it, of course, and producing it. Well, you have to keep me updated on it. I'll definitely be interested in that. Uh, is that going well, to thank be, you, yeah. Is that going to be released strictly online, or...? Um, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do limited pressings of physical CDs, because it's like, I, I read a lot, I read extensively, and I like to have my books physically in my hands, so I'm not wild about just downloading music, uh, yeah. I like to have, you know, the novelty of the actual CD in your hand. And you know, I, when I did the interview with uh, Mitch LaFond, the other night, one of the things I talked about was how much I miss, like you said, putting that CD or that album in your hand. And one thing, one of the first things I always did when I bought a CD or album, I read the liner notes. I was like, yeah. you know, the liner notes, you had the lyrics. Some of them didn't have the lyrics, which was a disappointment, but most of them had the lyrics. And then you had all these little messages and who played with who, who played what, and who sang background. And it, it yep. was just very interesting. And, you know, that's, I, I really miss being able to go, you know, because you get excited about stuff like that. You get excited about. Guess what? Today, and I mean, getting the Hit Parader magazine or the Circus magazine every month, and looking to see when yeah. the CD was getting ready to come out, and then going to the record store. You know, you, I used to get pumped up like the day something was coming out. I'd be like, "All right, I'm headed. I'm headed to that record store. I'm going to buy that record. I'm going to buy the CD." That, that was the only avenue. That was, I mean, that was social media. You know, as a, you know, still frame. You, that's the only information you got, unless you you know, read books about these people. Because right. there was no internet, there was there was only out only some TV and some stuff that you could see that, that was out there, just on a great occasion, a rare occasion. And yeah, there was a lot of fun about getting the album and read the liner notes and all that kind of stuff because you learn stuff that you didn't know. Yeah, and you're right about that. There's there's a resurgence for vinyl, but that's oh, for yeah. uh, you know the the audio files that want to hear the analog warmth off a record, which is which is a nice sound, even though most of it's digitally recorded. But, yeah, that, that was a fun time. I, I mean, I remember getting stuff for for whatever album I was getting and read everything I could on there about what was what and who did this and who did that. And I didn't, I never knew that Elton John played with uh, uh, some stuff with uh, on T-Rex and Mark Bull. And that was right. cool, you know. Uh, but it, it's, it, nowadays you just, you grab your phone and find it, figure out, find out everything you want to know about somebody yeah and it's nice to be able to have it at your at your you know at your fingertips but it's still right. it's still to me to me it's kind of sad i miss the old right. days uh yeah i just miss popping a, a cassette or, or a cd and my daughter looks at me when i talk about it because she's got you know she's the whole iphone and i i tell oh, you yeah. thing, and she looks at me like you're crazy you're crazy oh yeah it's so easy <laughs> but yeah and i tell her you never knew what it was like to be able to go to a record store today on the day a record came out and, and just see the well, it was the it was the intimacy of it all. It was the anticipation, the gratification of hearing it. You know, there was there was no. Um, it was right physically there in your hand. You could either put it in your like you said, uh, 
Hell, I always listen to 8-tracks, too. Eight tracks I, I've got a few 8-tracks. I still have a few 8-tracks. Yeah. <laughs> it's just wild how, it's, how it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's turned into such a situation now where, unfortunately, there's a lot of pirating. I mean, we put out our, our uh, Relentless 4 by Fate CD, and, and I think uh, even before the damn thing was released, there was over 150,000 downloads illegally online. So it, it's, it, it kind of killed our industry at the same time, all yeah. these this ease of access, it, it kind of destroys us. But yeah, back then, you know, you got the store, you got the Tower Records or Liquor's oh, Pizza yeah. or wherever you bought your stuff, you know, your, your mom and pop places and bought that record. It was in your hands and you took it home and you read the notes and sometimes it came with a poster and you folded, unfolded that, stick it on your wall and just, you couldn't wait for them to come to town and you bought your ticket and, but, you know, it was all part of the intimacy process. Now there's just so many bands and so many things and so many choices. It's like a large menu at McDonald's. You don't know what the hell to get, yeah. you know, and it, it depends on what strikes your fancy at that nanosecond. Yeah, and, I, and you know, I talk to, to Mitch a lot, and I've, I know I bug the crap out of but I ask him, you know, who's somebody good up and coming that I, that reminds you of somebody in the 80s, you know, or, or has that kind of, and it, it's just not a lot of them out there. I, I just... Most of the time when I, I do my runs, uh, all the all the 80s hair bands are up there. Most of them, that's that's the majority of my <laughs> my list. I just can't. The new rock is 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 pretty good. Some of them I can I can listen to, but I just can't get into it like I used to. Yeah, it depends on your depth of indelibility. If you're really into that stuff, you won't really adhere to the newer stuff. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, I mean, I got into a lot of cool alternative stuff that was heavy. I mean, I'm I'm a big Alice in Chains fan. Right. I like uh, uh, Stone to Pilots, uh, oh, yeah, Soundgarden. Stone Pilots, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's stuff I like, you know, because I kept learning, like, wow, this is great stuff, you know, new inventive melodies and arrangements. But for the 80s stuff, it's only going to come back around through youth that rediscovers that stuff. And then it has to hit a spark where people want to listen to it and and, and enjoy it in the same manner, or at least get close to the same manner. So it, it's like uh, uh, with Greta Van Fleet, that band, the little band that came out. Now, that's one I've got out. to check out. I haven't checked them out yet. I've got to check them out. They, they, yeah, they came out, and it sounded a lot like Zeppelin when I first heard them, and I thought, this is great, and my, my wife likes them. And then I've heard some other stuff that, that, that they played on, on a TV show that didn't quite sound like I wanted the rest of the their music to sound like but i really haven't listened to them in depth but it, it's really gonna have to come back from youth uh right. because you know old guys aren't going to bring it back for the young people it's just i mean there'll be there's some young people that listen to old music but not not the volumes of youth that's going to make it popular again yeah i will tell you that i coach at a i volunteer coach at a local private school here football and they wanted like a a playlist for for when they come out warm up and stuff and believe it or not the majority of the songs were were 80s rock songs i was shocked yeah i was shocked. Yeah, wow you guys know this okay that's pretty yeah, cool well, that's kind of a cool thing the novelty thing yeah yeah so you and you you just answered my next question about you think rock music can make a comeback like that kind of rock music back in the 80s uh, like you said, it, it's going to take youth to get it back going again. But yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of these older bands touring around. You know, going to these small places. The place we we went saw Striper at is a small small venue. But you know, it was just it was just nice to see them again. To see these guys coming out again, though. You know, and it's oh yeah, 
It's it is. I mean, for the people who are really into this, certain bands like we we've, we've got a lot of fans that showed up to see us in these four shows we did with Return of the Comet, and these fans are just thrilled to death. I mean, one guy traveled three thousand miles wow. to see us. I mean, you know, I just what a great guy, what a great fan. But they're so thrilled to see you know somebody they treasured thirty years ago. You know, and, and of course, I try to spend as much time as I can with them and. Uh, and, and answer questions, and you really see it in their eyes that they're so happy about it. And that's great, but it's, it's a far cry from the volume of people that listen to it initially. Right. So that that really determines the longevity of the, of the project. You know, we, we'd love to get out there and, and do a full tour with this band, but, you know, we just, just it's not doable at this point. Right. So four by fate, we talked earlier about it, which we were messaged last night, four by fate's on the shelf for right now, right? Yeah, it is pretty much uh, uh, with uh, Rob Afuso from Skid Row doing drums. Um, we had two other drummers, one uh, A.J. Perrell from Twisted Sister who had passed away, and, right. and then our first drummer, Stet Howland, who went on, uh, he had a horrible accident before he could even record one note with us, and, and he went on to play with Metal Church, and I think he's still with him now. He's had some ups and downs in his life. Uh, and we had to change in guitar players from Sean Kelly to Pat Gasparini. He was a, Pat Gasparini is a great guitar player, great songwriter. Sean Kelly's a great person, a great uh, guitar player, a different style. Um, but it, it's one of those things, again, where you can take it out there and see what happens, but if it doesn't strip enough interest, you might want to look at some, you know, something else somewhere yeah. else. And that's just, unfortunately, the reality of the projects. It's like if I was to try to go out here in California and do my own solo thing, oh, I'd be a, a, a virtual disaster because in California, now, I mean, people know who I am here, but nothing like they do on the East Coast. As a matter of fact, I have trouble doing a solo thing on the East Coast as well because you just got to get enough people interested or jazzed about it and then have the time to leave their families or grandkids to come see me play. Yeah, yeah that's true. You know? But... Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a few quick questions and then and then I, I'll let you because I've I've taken up a lot of your time tonight. Favorite song you love to perform? Well, let's see. Uh, well, I guess it depends on what band it's from. Um, when I was with Seven O Seven, I loved to perform. Uh, I could be good for you. That was a lot of fun because it was a pretty good, a fairly good hit back in the uh, early eighties, nineteen eighty eighty one. I believe. Um, with Cheap Trick, it was fun to do um, uh, got a lot of their songs. Dream Police is always fun to yeah. do. Um, if You Want My Love, The Flame was fun. Uh, for Nugent, uh, we did um, all his big hits were kind of, you know, a lot of fun. Cat Scratch Fever yeah, and then some yeah. stuff we did off the Penetrator album. For Fraley's Comet, um, I really enjoyed, I mean, it sounds selfish, but I really enjoyed playing Something Moved. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, that, that and then Time Ain't Running Out, and we never got to play It's Over Now. Matter of fact, nobody ever heard that song live. Really? Until we, yeah. We never got to play it live. We first time anybody heard it live was when we played with 4 by Fate. Wow. Yeah. I would have figured that with the video, with the video on, you know, the video was on the MTV, because I remember seeing the video, with that yeah. rotation on MTV, I figured that would be something y'all would play on, on tour. Well, it was going to be after we got done with the Iron Maiden tour. We were going to learn it, and, and I had to teach, principally teach uh, Ace to, to learn how to play it. Uh, 
because he even plays Stitch on that song. Oh, okay. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was, you know, little, little tidbits here and there. It wasn't yeah. done on purpose. It just was. You know, he uh, he was he didn't play on that, and there's other th- songs and secrets about that album. Right, that, you know, right. Yeah, okay. they come out later on. Yeah, them, some they'll be in my book, but you know, nothing was done deliberate. It was just it just happened as it happened. It's like the first album. A lot of a lot of stuff was recorded before I joined, and then I joined and I embellished a lot of stuff. But there was keyboard parts on that album that I did not put on the album. Because I wouldn't have played those type of keyboard parts because they were too tinkerbelly to me. Like, I would play different stuff, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's just the way it was. Yeah. But um, you know, we we uh, breakout was always fun to play. Breakout, you know? breakout. You know, and and the thing that got me to really listen to breakout more and more was the fact that you know one of my favorite members, Ace is my favorite member, Kiss. Eric Carr is yeah. right there with him, and to to hear the story behind breakout. That Eric Cole was was one of the writers on it, and uh, just made me made me listen to it even more, just because of that. And it was just funny. And you were I you weren't on the Trouble Walking album. It was just fun, funny to me how Ace had Hide Your Heart, and they and Kiss had Hide Your Heart on Hot the Shade, and they were both released about the same month. I was like, you know, how did this work out? This is kind of like a jab at each other, or what? Yeah, that's that's just a domino effect series of things, and and uh, I kind of know some of the story in there, but uh, you know, probably should let somebody else tell. It. But yeah, yeah, it, it's it's um, it's something Paul wanted to do, and and John, I think, had got Ace to do it, and uh, it was a good song. Uh, uh, but you know, I don't. It's kind of a song that I wouldn't have brought up, I think. But you know, that was the a lot of people think I'm a light, you know, I'm a, a too much keyboard guy, but that's not the case at all. I mean, my, a lot of my Guitar stuff is far heavier than Ace would ever do, yeah. and you know when when I did it's over now. Uh, it just was a keyboard song with some ballsy guitar stuff, and and then and people said, "Oh, you bought too much keyboard to to play this cover." So, well, no, I, I never bought any keyboards except for I just played keyboards on it's over now, and that was about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I did some stuff on the first record, but I wasn't the one that brought all the keyboard parts in it because I would I would said, "Look, let's do something else besides the keyboards. Let's stick some guitar in it." Yeah, because I wasn't that type of a keyboard player. But, um, yeah, and, and then for uh, for Four by State, we had a lot of fun doing um, uh, a couple songs, uh, Moonshine, that Pat wrote with a lot of fun, Follow Me, Pat wrote that one too. Then a couple that I wrote that we had fun doing. Um, it just, I guess it depends on how the crowd responds. Uh-huh. I like to play the songs that the crowd responds to if they're having fun. So I, you just reminded me of something. Uh, it seems to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, there was a Freely's Comet show er, pretty early on in Freely's Comet history that uh, Gene and Powell came on stage for. Am I right? Yeah, that was a yeah. Was that how that was awkward? The was that awkward, or was it you know was it everything? No, okay. no, no, it was it was it was, it was fine. In fact, it was. Yeah, I think it was an idea that uh, came to pass while we were rehearsing at SIR. We were in the big stage, and they were in the small stage. Gene didn't like that at all, but we uh. got there first, so yay <laughs> us, you know. But, uh, no, I, matter of fact, I knew Gene. I had met Gene back in 1980 when a band I was playing with back then who had a bass player and a guitar player that went on to play with, with Cheap Trick. I met Gene when we auditioned uh, to open up for Diana Ross, and Gene was Diana, Diana oh, yeah. Ross. 
and they came to uh, an SIR show in L.A. or, 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 or um, audition, and Gene remembered me from back then. So I knew Gene. Matter of fact, I got signed to Gene's label after Freddie's Comet for a short okay. time. But uh, no, when they came up, that was the limelight in New York just before we went on tour with Iron Maiden, and uh, it was uh, it was like spontaneously planned. But we had a lot of fun with it, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was a good time. I think oh, yeah. it was good promo for uh, both both projects, and it was, it was a good move. That's pretty cool, though. I, I remember yeah. seeing the pictures of it, and I was like, "Whoa, that's." I, I, I was thinking that could be awkward, but that could be pretty cool too. Uh, song you wish you wrote? Um, it has nothing to do with rock. One of my favorite songs of all time is "Against All Odds" by Phil Collins. Oh yeah, yeah. See, that's another one. Phil Collins, Brian Adams are two of my favorite. Uh, favorite musicians of all time i mean as far as great songwriters yeah. i like seal too seal does some phenomenal stuff yeah seal does i like kiss from a rose was a was a great one yeah, I, I, mean, I really well, like that but not only the demographics of that style of music goes far and wide i mean i, I like you know i even like uh alas morissette you know i think she's got some good stuff i mean there's a lot of a lot of different products but yeah uh, against all odds was what a powerful song you know the, the movie was great it was i remember seeing that movie in San Francisco in 1983 when I left, was it 83 or 84, somewhere around there. Somewhere around I, I, I think it might have been 84 when that came out. Yeah, because I went on the tour with uh, with uh, Ted Nugent in 84. Yeah. Hey, you know, and Collins, to to have the career after Genesis that he did, the solo career, is just phenomenal. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it seemed like he was doing soundtracks there for a while, but he could put, he, he's got an incredible voice. One of them, do you remember that was? I mean, that name, that song he did. That was one of my favorite songs. Uh, the song he did and the lady, I think her name was Marilyn Martin, "Separate Lives" from that White Knight soundtrack. I love that. I know I'm getting kind of off the rock, but that's right. just some of the stuff that I, that I love to listen to. Um, favorite venue you played? Um, God, that would be one of the. I can't remember the the venue, but it was a summer fest. We played there, I was playing there with uh, 707, and we played with, Nugent was there, uh, Rainbow, uh, John Cougar Mellencamp, I think, uh, oh God, who else is playing, Loverboy maybe, I'm not really sure, but uh, there was about 50,000 people there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, A lot of fun. So, before I let you go, where is it we can keep up with the latest on Todd Howarth? Well, I'm having my, my website is being revamped. Um, I'm, I'm doing my, I've got my Facebook, right. of course, which is just my name. I may end up starting a, a Facebook because my Facebook page is, is, it's about music, but it's all about everything in life, including, you know, some views that people may not like or not. I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think you've, uh, <laughs> I think, I, I keep, I, I get a kick out of it, and, and I, I, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much agree with with most of the stuff you say. The majority of the stuff you say, I pretty much agree with. And uh, the what? pictures of the pictures of the TV screen with your hand in front of it. Sometimes I I, I want to do that a lot too. So I'm not well, sure yeah, what you're doing with. <laughs> it's just it's, it's the, some of the the obligatory stupidity is just amazing. It but is. It really is. You're, you're, it's just dumb. I mean, I, I, we that's a whole other thing. Like I said, I read extensively, yeah. so I see right through a lot of this crap. But 
what I want to do. I may end up starting like just a music only Todd Howarth page, but I'm gonna. So many plates spinning right now that I'm. I'm I, I can only do certain things at a certain time, and once I start uh, getting closer to releasing the CDs and my book, then I'll be ramping up with either my new website or the uh, anything on Facebook with my name. Well, please, please, like I say, please keep me posted on on both the CDs and and the book because I definitely want to get both of those. Uh, that's I, I'm like really thrilled to hear that right now because I love to well, read. Thank you. I love to read and uh, you know finding and just like when I do these interviews, if I can find out something I didn't know, like some of the things you told me tonight, stuff I didn't know, I feel like wow, that's great. Uh, you know, I get a kick out of that. But uh, yeah, it, it is fun to learn little tidbits because you. For so long, you assume one thing, and it turns out to be something completely different. Like what? Yeah, exactly. So it is fun, but yeah, I, I will. And uh, thank you for asking about it. And it's it's uh, again, it's my honor to do this, and, and I'm thrilled that you uh, find uh, interest and enjoyment in in all these things after so many years. Definitely, definitely. You know, one of my favorites of all time. But uh, and and just share it. Like I said, keep me posted on that. I'll share it on the Facebook site and try to. And maybe somebody else out there is, is interested too. I'm sure there's plenty of people interested right now. But uh, fantastic! Uh, can't thank you enough for doing this. I know I've taken up about an hour of your time tonight, but thank you so much for doing this. Uh, it's really been an honor to do it, and I'll I'll be keeping up with you over here, guys. That's Todd Howard. Thank you so much, Mr. Howard, for doing this. Stevie, thank you for asking me and having me here, and I appreciate it. And we'll talk in the future. All right. Yeah. Have a good night. All right, take care. Uh, you too. All right, guys. It's Todd Howarth on the final score.